part of the charm, if you will, of being on a creative journey is finding that the happy medium where you are able to create without compromising your artistic integrity, if you will, and also make some money while doing so, which will help facilitate you being able to do more of what it is that you love to do, which is the writing and creating. And if sometimes you wind up sliding to the left of that spectrum a little bit and going more towards the making money side and then sliding back to the right a little bit and going more towards the doing what you love side, then so be it. As long as you ultimately stay within that happy medium, which should be the place where you're most happy, I think is the ultimate creative goal. At least I feel like that's what it is for me. What's up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the only podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 254 of the podcast. And in this episode, I speak about season six of Black Mirror on Netflix, the final season of Jack Ryan on Amazon, the movie American Fiction, and another addition to our GOAT's doing goat shit segment stick around for all that good stuff but before we get into the episode i wanted to tell you guys about a quick way that you can help support this show if you so choose then we'll jump right into the episode another way you can help support the spun today podcast and also upgrade that stale wardrobe of yours is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support and clicking on the banner for stitch fix Once you do, you'll enjoy a $25 discount to your first purchase. And the way Stitch Fix works is pretty cool. I use it and I've never been disappointed. You'll set up a profile, you'll put in all the sizes for your clothes, as well as all the different brands and types of clothes that you like to wear. It's really simple and intuitive to set up. They'll show you pictures and pretty much give you a thumbs up or thumbs down option on if you would wear something or not. And you get to select all the brands that you already are used to wearing. With this information, their thousands of passionate, trend-setting stylists will curate a Stitch Fix box for you. They'll send you five items that you get to preview before they mail it to you, and you'll get to select based on the image if you like it or not. If not, they'll replace it with something else, and if so, they'll mail it to you absolutely for free. You can try everything on, and you have a few days to send everything back or keep the stuff that you wanna keep. Then you can use that $25 credit that I mentioned towards your purchase of those items. Again, to freshen up your wardrobe and also support the Spun Today podcast, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and click on my affiliate link banner for Stitch Fix and enjoy your $25 credit. Black Mirror Season 6 was released in 2023. For those of you who don't know, don't follow the show. It is an amazing watch. One of my favorite shows for sure and has six seasons available on Netflix. And if you haven't seen any episode, don't worry. It's not like one of those types of shows where you have to follow specific characters or like watch it from, you know, episode one through to the the latest episode. Each season, each season is like a, it's an anthology. So it's like these individual stories, individual short stories, if you will. And each one is kind of like its own movie think of it that way so you can literally go in check out the descriptions see which ones you might might be interested in and like and and just start that way that's what i did initially years ago when i when i first got put onto the show and since have watched every single episode i think every single episode actually i was well reading up and and refreshing my memory on a few of these episodes i went back and noticed like one or two episodes that i either don't remember or maybe never even saw But yeah, and it's not a lot of episodes per season. Some seasons only have three episodes, for example. Some have six, some have five, some have four. This latest season, season six, has five episodes, all of which are really cool. I would say two to three are awesome. Two are awesome. One is really good, 
and a couple of them I could were my favorites, but they were worth the watch either way because it really is a good show. Very well done. And here's the, the official synopsis of the show. Black Mirror is featuring standalone dramas, sharp, suspenseful, satirical tales that explore techno paranoia. Black Mirror is a contemporary reworking of The Twilight Zone with stories that tap into the collective unease about the modern world. In the synopsis for this specific season is twisted tales that span eras and terrors deliver a myriad of surprises in this game-changing anthology series, most unpredictable season yet. And as we like to do here on the Spontaneity Podcast, wanted to shout out the folks that make it all possible, the writers. Black Mirror was created and is mainly written by Charlie Brooker. And there was one episode here in season six that was written by Bisha K. Ali. Shout out to the writers of this amazing series and awesome season. So the very first episode of the season is called Joan is Awful. And the summary is that an average woman discovers a global streaming service has adapted her daily life and her secrets into a drama starring A-list actress Salma Hayek. The name of the streaming service is Streamberry. It's similar to think of like Netflix, for example. And this lady is essentially, you know, going through her life, goes to work, has certain conversations at work. She has a husband or or at least a fiance or living boyfriend or something like that that they depict their relationship kind of as like very routine, very going through the motions. And she gets a text from like an ex-boyfriend or an old flame and says that uh, he's in town and just wants to meet to say hi for a drink or something like that. And she hesitantly goes, winds up going. I think they wind up kissing or something like that. And then they she leaves and goes home. Then... They are about to have dinner, her and her boyfriend, and they put on the TV and they say, oh, oh, look, there's a new show called Joan is Awful. What the hell? And her name is Joan. And they start playing it and watching it. And it's going through pretty much everything that happened to her that day. So it shows her, like in the show, it shows Salma Hayek, which plays her character. Going through the motions with a boyfriend, goes to work, shows a very similar conversation that she has. Her assistant is very similar and quirky and shows like what she said behind the back of someone that she fired and almost identical to like what happened to her in real life. So she's watching it like, wait, what? What the fuck? Is this a joke? Like, what are you doing? What is going on? And then the boyfriend, he's just like, what? What are you talking about? You know, just a, like a show. But then he even starts catching on like, wait, this is very similar to this seems like us. And then he sees in the show that she gets a text from an old boyfriend and then she's like wait that didn't happen that's not true and then you know she wants to stop watching for obvious reasons he wants to keep watching for obvious reasons and so on and so forth in long story short the world of this main character like falls apart and in almost real time it's showing this on the show like in the next episode of Jonah's Awful and just highlighting how she's like a bad person and She's like flipping out and going to she uh, she goes to a lawyer. She tries to sue Streamberry. She loses her job. And all of this is being depicted on the show as well. Right. Like like a beat behind uh, what's actually happening in real life. And she's like, how the fuck is this happening? And then the lawyer winds up letting her know that in signing the terms and conditions, you know, like the those like pages and pages worth of terms and conditions that we all just like click the checkbox on and click accept which i believe south park did an episode of like years ago but the lawyer explains how in the terms and conditions one of the things you signed off on was giving your likeness signing over your likeness to streamberry and it's completely legal and they could do what they're doing <laughs> and from a company perspective in streamberry they're using some sort of like ai and like high level tech to enrich their algorithm such that it gives the user, like the watcher, the most targeted experience possible, which I can totally see a corporation doing like something like that through like algorithmic optimization and just like focusing on the bottom line. You know what I mean? Like an evil corporation that just wants to increase profit quarter after quarter after quarter and losing sight of 
the damage that it's doing otherwise. And then there's another layer to the episode where it's it gets into this like quantum computing baseline reality versus fictive reality type of thing as like the the Joan is awful the main character that we see that we think is the real Joan she starts investigating the company and and you know taking matters into her own hands tries to break into the company and figure out where they have this supercomputer that's facilitating all this and she finds out that there's layers and layers and layers to this Joan is awful character where she's seeing Salma Hayek this famous actress playing her life there's she is the actress that somebody else in a different layer or a different level of reality is watching her in a similar way on her streaming service watching the Joan that we think is the real Joan they're watching her on TV and so on and so forth so she's like wait she's like contemplating am I like not even real am I like CGI am I like AI or something like that and then it gets into the question of what's real what's what are people quote unquote what if we do create like AI or, or like sentient AI? Do they really have feelings and thoughts and are they real? Should they have rights, etc.? It's really, really interesting. It's like a, a mind bending. When you think you know what the episode is about, it winds up opening up like all these other layers and inevitable questions. And that was definitely either my favorite or tied for favorite episode of, of this season. Joan is awful. The second episode, Locke Henry is the one that I would say is but like my tied to tied as my favorite episode of the season. And the summary for it is that while filming a nature documentary in a sleepy Scottish town, a young couple catches wind of a juicy local story with ties to shocking past events. Now in this episode what stood out to me was first of all like the way it was shot, it, it's very scenic, it's very beautiful looking. The acting is great everyone in it from like the main character his girlfriend his mother his best friend like stole the show he was like the comedic relief it follows this couple that goes back home to to the the guy's hometown and the mother's meeting his his girlfriend for the first time and this town is really beautiful but it's like dead like almost nobody's around it's kind of eerie and creepy but it's so beautiful and the girlfriend's even even notices that and she's like What's going on here? Like you would think that, you know, especially with this weather and this time of year, that this would be like a pop in place, you know what I mean? Like a vacation spot for folks. And she even asked this to the guy's friend, which is running a family restaurant slash pub. And the friend tells him, Wait, you didn't tell her about Ian Adar? And remember, they're they're like these film school kids that are like home from college to do this like nature documentary. That's what they're into or to do a documentary period. And they chose to do it about nature, a nature documentary. And the kid is like, no, no, no. I didn't want to like speak about that or whatever. And she's like, wait, who's Ian Adar? And the friend or he and the friend, but mainly he, the main character, he starts telling his girlfriend the story of Ian Adar. And this is probably like the scene that that made the the episode for me was his telling of the story of Inadar was like perfect spot on storytelling like it was just enough detail for like listeners and like watchers of the show to like add their own color and the visuals that they showed during his telling of who Inadar was definitely helped as well but it's absolutely like what roped me into to the episode. But essentially, this Ian the Dark character was a, a local guy who's kind of like a loner, creepy guy that used to like go into the, the pub and drink and, and get drunk and lived in a house down the road with a farm. And the the main character's father in present time had passed away, but he used to be a police officer. And they tell this very suspenseful story of how there was like a, one day he got really drunk to see in the dark character after a couple that was on vacation because it used to be a really popular spot, this place, which ties to the the girl's expectation of, you know, why isn't this like a more popular place? It used to be. And then this couple went missing and they couldn't find them. And then one day Ian the dark is in the pub and got really drunk and then winds up going home and the, there's a disturbance in his house and... Somebody calls the cops. The father of this kid goes and winds up getting shot by Inadar. 
as the telling of the story. Not killed, but then we find out that later on from his like wounds and like stuff like that, he got sick and was never the same and then wound up dying. So the mother and and like the family blame Inadar for the father's death. But ultimately they found like this hidden dungeon in the house and like the remains of these people that were missing and this Inadar character was some sort of like serial killer guy. And since then the town became like a ghost town, hence the state that, that it's currently in. Now the girl, she's like, we're not doing a fucking nature documentary anymore. We have to do a documentary about this. This is the story. We have to tell the story. And you know, they're film buffs and he's reluctant to do it. Doesn't want to open up like old wounds of, you know, the family and the father dying and the story and stuff like that. The friend wants to, wants them to tell the story as well to see if it brings like more popularity back to the town and more tourists and stuff like that. And the girl's really pushing for it. And even the mother says that she it's important to tell the story. So then the kid gets on board and they start, you know, investigating and going into the house that was boarded up and going into that dungeon and taking videos and pictures and all this stuff. And the mother's this very like proper, you know, buttoned up lady and the like the kids are walking on eggshells around her, don't want to make too much noise. And, you know, she's nice, but very like buttoned up and proper. And long story shorter, as they're investigating and the girlfriend is in the house by herself for some reason, like the the guy went to visit with his friend or something like that. I forgot where he went, but she's just like rewatching some of the footage that they shot that day. And they were recording on top of an old VHS tape of some sitcom show that the, the mom used to watch and the father. And she finishes watching the footage and but uh, leaves the tape playing while she's like writing something down or something like that. And then this other footage comes up of that same dungeon area in the house, but it's like old footage. And she pretty much sees the couple that went missing and the mother of the guy and the father. And they're into this like eyes wide shut style sex torture thing. And the girlfriend is watching this like, what the fuck? And then realizes that the mother and the father, the cop, were the ones that killed that missing couple. And they were, you know, they did it again in this like eyes wide shut style, like sex play torture craziness. <laughs> and she like stops it. And then right there, there's like a knock at the door or the mother opens the door and she's like, oh, dinner's ready. And she, and she you know, she's trying not to freak out. And she's like, okay, uh, I'll be right there. And then winds up going downstairs, but then saying that she's going to get some air or something like that. And it's nighttime. But ultimately, she goes, she winds up get, getting out the house. The mother realizes, you know, goes back to the room, realizes what she saw, and then tries to find the girl. She drives and catches up to her. Then the girl, like, runs into, into like, the wo a wooded area, like, down by a river, and tries to hide. Winds up, like, slipping and banging her, her head and... Pretty much she drowns in the river and dies and the mother just had another added twist to, to everything the mother winds up going back to the to the apartment taking out all the the vhs tapes and footage and stuff and set and writes a, a letter to her son which still isn't home by the way and explaining to him everything and what she was involved in and what his father was involved in and that with the footage that's on that tape he he'll make like an amazing documentary and then she winds up hanging herself <laughs> which is sick and unexpected and then the story goes on to to show the kid you know being the film buff that he is but also reluctant to like the whole thing he winds up putting out this documentary the town blows up with like tourism and stuff like that it like fast forwards like a year or two later and he winds up winning like all these like awards and you know like emmys grammys whatever it is that, that you win for this but it's like that type of event and he's like pretty much miserable like he has obviously what he wanted with this like documentary filmmaking fame he brought back life to his hometown but obviously lost his girlfriend and his mother and is completely mind fucked with what happened so dope dope episode lock henry now the next three i'll go a little quicker we have beyond the sea which was a really good episode stars my guy jesse from breaking bad and he and he plays this astronaut he and another character and it says in an alternative 1969 two astronauts on a perilous high-tech space mission 
grapple with the fallout of an unfathomable tragedy back on Earth. And essentially, they're these astronauts that are in, like in deep space, but they have these only two were made state of the art, like physical bodies back on Earth. And they're able through some sort of technology lay down in a pod for like in their like spaceship or wherever they are in space. And it puts them to sleep, but like beams their consciousness into this body that's back on Earth. And they could do it for, I don't know, five hours, eight hours a day or something like that. Or every so often, you know. And while one does it, the other one has to, you know, be in the spaceship, you know, man the spaceship and, and everything. And the other, you know, does that to spend time with their family. Both of them are like married. They have a, a kid or two and they take turns doing this every day. And then the rest of the day, you know, they're working out in space and doing the research and work that it is that they do. Then one day, one of them goes back and I forget exactly how it happened, but there was, oh, I do remember how it happened. The, somebody breaks into their house and it's like this think of like the Sharon Tate style murders, but it's like a, a religious cult thinking that this is like, you know, ungodly, it's, you know, you're like an abomination here on earth. You're not really human. It's like that type of mentality that, that drove these folks to like break into the house. They wound up tying, tying up the guy. He, you know, his body, that's it, not his real body, but he's, you know, he, he's beamed in and then they tie up his wife, his kid, and they wind up killing his wife and, and child in front of him while he's watching and he can't do anything about it. And then they, you know, they can't kill him because it's not really his body, but they fuck up the that machine, robot, AI, whatever body. So he can't ever like beam down again. Then he beams back. Obviously, he's in, in real life. You know, he, he's in outer space, not in real life, but, you know, and he's completely distraught. It's a, you know story blows up it's pretty much going crazy and then his other astronaut buddy friend is finds out about it and then he you know they they speak back to like space command or <laughs> whatever it's called and they try to give the the friend you know pointers and things to speak to him about and you know they try to like keep tabs on him to see what's going on you know don't fuck up like the mission and then you know he has to deal with him coming back to his family and his life but knowing that he left this unstable person up there that just lost his entire family. And they think of, like, he and his wife think of, you know, once he's, like, a little bit more settled, they offer him to use his body. So Jesse's character offers him to use his body to go down, you know, to beam down, just so he could feel the air again and be around people. And he winds up doing this, they wind up doing it every so often. It's apparently it's helping him. But then he and the wife kind of hit it off a little bit. And he's into painting and they get a little flirty. The wife, you know, pushes back on the whole thing eventually. But then Jesse's character finds out about it, gets upset, tells him that he's not going to let him, you know, beam down anymore. You know, they're not supposed to be doing that anyway because it like breaks protocol. And then the guy convinces him to do it one more time just so he could apologize to the wife. And he reluctantly agrees, then he comes back, and then the next time Jesse beams down, he beams down and he sees blood everywhere. He's like, what the fuck? And then he realizes the guy beamed down that last time and wound up killing his wife and kid. And he has no other option but to like beam back up, you know? He beams back up, and the story ends with them, him just like flipping out, but then him telling him to like take a seat. He's like completely calm and fucking psycho <laughs> but tells him you know take a seat now now we're even basically i lost my family you lost yours you can't tell anybody about it because you know there's nothing anybody can do we weren't even supposed to be beaming in each other's bodies or whatever the hell and that was a really good episode now the last two that i'll mention Maisie day the main character is played by zazie beats from atlanta great actress it wasn't one my favorite episode it's a, a troubled Hollywood starlet goes to great lengths to escape packs of invasive paparazzi as she deals with the aftermath of a hit and run. Anyway, I didn't really, it wasn't a, a favorite episode of mine. She 
plays a paparazzi that's like in the paparazzi game and wants out wants a different life but they're tracking this like super popular actress who's trying to like hide out in rehab because she has like a drug problem and then there's like this i don't know felt like lazy twist unexpected i don't know not maybe not lazy but because it got me like i was interested in the episode just because of like the the acting and the writing in general and the characters in it and it was somewhat suspenseful but like the what happened at the end i was was like oh come on um which was pretty much the the starlet that they were tracking down was in this like rehab place and like tied down and they they wound up trying to save her because they pretty she pretty much went into this rehab place and they like tied her down to you know like fight off the the drugs and you know she was gonna get sick and throw up and stuff like that and they didn't want her like breaking out and, and getting drugs or anything so it would be like an easier time for her if she was just tied down. So the paparazzis, Zazzy Beats and a couple other folks, they track her down. They try to get a picture of her because it's worth a lot of money in the rehab place. But then they realize that she's tied down. And when they go, they go to free her and she winds up turning into a, a werewolf. <laughs> so <laughs> and she winds up killing a couple of pap- uh, paparazzis. Zazzy Beats gets away. And then at the end, I think winds up killing her as well. But yeah, that was a little just like little far-fetched in my opinion but the acting was great and the last one is called demon 79 this is northern england 1979 a meek sales assistant discovers she must commit terrible acts to prevent an imminent disaster this was another one that was good it keeps you roped in because you want to know if it's true or not what she's going through and it's this Indian girl in 1979, she sells shoes. She works at like a a mall's department store selling shoes. And the people she works with and, you know, her boss and coworker and stuff like that, they all treat her different. And they say, oh, you have stinky food. And, and, you know, she's treated, she's very othered. You know, her neighbors or people treat her like very differently. And then this like demon appears that only she can see in here and tells her that she has to uh, essentially kill three people or the entire world would end so they're showing this and you as the as the viewer are like is this real or or not is she like a schizophrenic imagining demons and shit or is this like really happening within this world and she's going through those same emotions she's like she thinks she's going crazy but then ultimately is convinced uh of this and winds up going through the motions and doing things with the with the demon and the demon tries to like egg her on and 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 you know motivate her to to kill people and i forget what it was if it had to be only good people it couldn't be bad people because bad people would be too easy it has to be like three innocent people or something like that or if it was the other way around if it had to be bad people and couldn't be innocent people and she wound up killing like an innocent person i think that's what it was she wound up killing an innocent person and that person didn't count so she wound up killing like an extra person and then at the end, she winds up getting caught like in the act and is, you know, there's like a, a cutoff time. It's like midnight at, you know, you know, three days later or something like that. The world was going to end. And she's like in the interrogation room with the cops and they're writing her off as fucking crazy. The clock strike struck 12. Nothing happened. And then she's like coming to the realization. Holy shit, I killed these people. I am crazy. It's 12 o'clock and nothing happened. And then like three or four minutes later you hear sirens going off and like the town's like foghorns and everyone in the precinct is like going to the windows and you just see like bombs and fire and plague and just like everything going to shit and then she comes to the realization of oh i'm not crazy so she's happy about that but then at the same time oh but the world is ending (laughs) so there is that but yeah black mirror dope series like i said in the beginning of this little recap and review go back to see all the seasons all the episodes some of them are fucking amazing a lot of them are great most of them are are either great or really good and there's like a i could count on one hand less than one hand probably just two or three that even even the ones that like i mentioned in in this season six the last two episodes weren't my favorite but they were you know it wasn't like, oh, why'd I watch that? You know what I mean? And that is my little recap and review of Black Mirror Season 6, available on Netflix. Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, created by Carlton Cuse 
and Graham Rowland, based on the characters by novelist Tom Clancy, had its series finale last year in 2023. Very quick aside, because I don't want to forget, Tom Clancy, I, I looked him up like when, I, when I'm into like a show or a movie or, or like a book, and I may not know the author, the writer, the creators. I look them up usually like to follow them on, on Twitter or Instagram and just to see like what they're up to, what they're working on currently. And I did that with Tom Clancy, being that this is a character that he developed, that he created, and has like a bunch of, of novels about him. And I found out that he died in 2013. And since, since he died, he's put out more content whether it be films shows like this one and books and at first i'm kind of like yeah that's i guess it kind of sort of makes sense if you you know you create certain characters and you have like a a large backlog you know your estate or something can like license out the content and one of your older books could be adapted into a movie or a tv show etc i thought it was like that type of deal but then i found out that's not the case and that he's since he's passed Again, in 2013, he's put out over a dozen new books. Or not he, because it'd be like physically impossible. But he built out such a well-known IP in like his name, Tom Clancy, and all the characters that, that he's created, and like Jack Ryan, for example. But also different like series of like movies and shows like <clears throat> The Hunt for Red October, starring Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin. Patriot Games starring Harrison Ford, etc. That his name alone is the Tom Clancy name. Like it became an entity, essentially. And the publishing house has other writers that since his death have written under the Tom Clancy banner, if you will, but under the Tom Clancy name. So it'll be a new book by Tom Clancy, but it's really written by Grant Blackwood, Mark Cameron, Dick Couch, Mark Greeny, and Mike Madden, probably amongst others by now. And I thought that was so fascinating and interesting. And just a testament to something that I like to highlight and underscore, the importance of owning your content, owning your IP at whatever level you're on, from zero listenership and readership to millions and millions and millions of listeners and or readership. Because ultimately... If something does pop off in the direction of being financially viable, why not have your situation set up in a way where you didn't give away the rights, you didn't sell off the rights for a one-time fee or, you know, the short-term bag, but you've created something valuable that can and will go on for decades after you're gone and your kids and maybe even your kids' kids could benefit from it. Like, why not set it up that way? You know what I mean? But to each their own. Anyway, Jack Ryan is a dope series. And the official synopsis is of the show is up and coming CIA analyst Jack Ryan is thrust into dangerous field assignments. And it stars John Krasinski from The Office, which when I first saw the show, I was like that. Like, I know him as like Jim from The Office. It's a comedy. And this is like a serious, you know, CIA analyst guy. But it totally works. And it just shows like his range as an actor, in my opinion. Also starring Wendell Pierce. Shout out to Wendell Pierce. Shout out to The Wire. And Michael Kelly, who's a great like character actor. I think that's what you call a character actor. Shout out to uh, House of Cards, where he played Doug. And as we like to do here on the Spun Today podcast, because if we don't do it here, then who will? Let's shout out the writers. First and foremost, Tom Clancy, of course, based on the characters that he created. Carlton Cuse. Graham Rowland. Joe Grascoviak, Jeff Kempler, Beta Nation, Aaron Rabin, Vaughn Wilmot, Stephen Kane, and Robert David Ort. Shout out to each and every one of the writers that and creators of the series that put together this final fourth series finale. So like the synopsis says, if you're not familiar with the show, it all revolves around this genius CIA analyst he's kind of like a desk analyst research guy that winds up going into the field and then you start finding out that oh he can he can do the field as well he has like a background being like a Navy SEAL I think or 
just like one of those like superhero type characters in in shows you know they could do it all smartest guy in the room toughest guy in the room and i love shows like that because i could finally relate to someone you know what i mean <laughs> let me stop but definitely i definitely do enjoy those shows you kind of like vicariously live through characters like that and this season this final season had to do with a drug cartel teaming up with a terrorist organization and how that type of matchup would combine unlimited resources with like unbridled terror and hate which is obviously a dangerous combination especially when and if it's aimed towards the u.s for example michael peña is a big part of this final season as well another great actor if you don't know him by name, he's, he's the, the Spanish guy that is, like, in everything. When you see him, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. And in the very first episode, actually, ends with a really dope scene where he is in Jack Ryan's apartment when Jack Ryan gets home with his girlfriend. And they, they uh, get home from some event that they were at. And she's going to go take a shower or something. He's going to the fridge. And Michael Peña just points a gun to his head. And tells him to uh, turn Pluto back on. So at this point in the story, basically, Jack Ryan has ascended. And he's like assistant to the head of the CIA. Like second in line. And they're getting a lot of pressure from, from the Senate to be more transparent and highlight programs within the CIA. Like covert operations and stuff like that. Because there had just been a coup slash murder of a president in a country in Africa and you know conspiracy theorists and folks were blaming the CIA as them having something to do with it so a way that Jack Ryan and director Wright chose to deal with that was to turn off the funding for all these programs that you couldn't trace or like where the money was going to and stuff like that and one of these programs was Pluto codename Pluto and Michael Pena just shows up puts a gun to Jack Ryan's head. Remember, Jack Ryan's like the badass, you know, handles everything, knows everything that's going on at all times. And here's this guy, apparently within the CIA as well, in his apartment with a gun to his head, telling him to turn turn the shit back on, turn the money back on for that operation. And we see Michael Pena's character in Mexico. Like they show a few scenes of him there and like being a bit like a badass there and as the viewer, we're kind of like, wait, is he CIA? Is he part of this cartel? Is he like a double agent? Like, what's up with him? And ultimately, we find out that he is in the CIA, but he's being used by the folks that are running the Pluto program that are working with this, either the drug cartel and or the terrorist organization side to try to facilitate what they have going on. And they're pretty much being paid off. And that's essentially what this season is all about. It has great fighting scenes, very suspenseful. There's like scenes with a, a helicopter. Oh, I'm sorry, with a, a plane that they're finally getting away. Jack Ryan's character is, and Mike November's, which is Michael Kelly's character, and Kathy Mueller, which is John Krasinski's, uh, Jack Ryan's girlfriend, played by Abby Cornish, and Michael Pena's character. They're all like getting away from a situation that they're in, that they're flying out of to take uh, Chow Fa, the head of this drug organization, or not the head, he was like the higher up about to become the head, but he, he was turning against the organization and like speaking to the CIA to be able to get his, family, his, his wife and daughter out. So they're in this situation where they are about to get out of the country on this private plane. They load everybody up, but then Jack Ryan and Michael Pena themselves have to stay behind so the plane can go can fly off with Jack Ryan's girlfriend Chow Fa's wife and daughter because you have like a ton of just like jeeps and jeeps and with heavy machinery machine guns and a bunch of soldiers just like coming at them so the plane can take off they stay down to like you know give them uh, cover pretty much and like shooting back at them and then Michael Kelly's character, Mike November, just comes with a fucking helicopter and, like, mows down all the, like, at the last second when you're like, how the fuck are they going to get out of this? They're, like, in this open field, completely surrounded, they're fucked. And Mike November shows up in this helicopter and with enough 
uh, like weaponry to like hold them off and allow Jack Ryan and Mike and Michael Pena's character to get in the helicopter and get the fuck out of there. So it's like dope scenes like that. Acting director writes characters from Queens. Shout out to Queens. There's some dope scenes towards the end of the series where Jack Ryan actually gets captured and he's being tortured. You know, he's like tied up, he's being electrocuted, fucking whipped and just like fucked up, like a sick torture scene. And to John Krasinski's credit, did a phenomenal job. It was like so believable. It's like a sick scene. Michael Pena is in this like bunker place where they have Jack Ryan. He like broke into it to save Jack Ryan. And there's a part where he, oh, he has a spear gun. Cause that's what he can buy in terms of weaponry from like a villager that lived close by. And he gets into this facility and there's a, you know, there's this guy guarding a door and he's walking, you know, he hears something, he's walking around with a gun and Mike Pena fucking spear guns him in the dark. It was such a sick scene <laughs> and just wound up like fucking everybody up one by one, like John Wick style to ultimately free Jack Ryan. And I like this show in particular because it's not like the, the bad guys in the show, they make you not relate to them, but they're written in such a way where... I don't want to say you empathize with them, but they, they humanize them a bit. You know, they're not like over the top, just like evil for evil's sake type bad guys. I think the the best villains in stories, there's like something about them that you could relate to, or at least that you can sympathize with their rationale, whether you, you agree with it or not, for like doing certain things. And there's a few of those characters uh, within this season, within the show in general, but within this season especially, like the ex-CIA guy. I felt wronged and he was like a, a hitman for hire basically for for the bad guys the chow Fa's character which was the head of this drug organization and was doing it to get his wife and daughter out and he killed his brother-in-law who was like on to him so on and so forth but yeah really good show it's definitely a fun watch there's four seasons available on amazon if you're interested it's one of those that are just like action and entertaining and well-written and that is Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, available on Amazon. American fiction. So a few weeks back, prior to the health-related issues that I mentioned that my family's going through right now, my wife and I wanted to do one of our favorite things, which is go to the movies. It's one of the things we really enjoy doing together. And we saw American fiction, which was so, so good to me on a few different levels. It's about a novelist who, this is the official summary. It's about a novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from black entertainment. And he uses a pen name to write a book that propels him into the heart of the hypocrisy and madness he claims to disdain. Before we get into my little recap, let's shout out the writers as we do here on this Fun Today podcast. Because if we don't, who will? American Fiction was written by Cord Jefferson and Percival Everett. Shout out to them for putting this together. It was also directed by Cord Jefferson. Now, it has a great, great all-star cast. Starting with the main protagonist, Thelonious Monk Ellison, played by Jeffrey Wright. Lisa Ellison, his sister, played by Tracy Ellis Ross. Arthur, who is the publisher of Thelonious's character, played by John Ortiz. Coraline, who plays a love interest of Thelonious, played by Erica Alexander. Issa Rae is in it. She also plays a writer. Sintara Golden. Keith David plays Willie the Wonker. <laughs> like a funny little like parody scene within the movie itself. I really like the Myra Lucretia Taylor plays Lorraine. She's like the housekeeper slash caretaker for, for the mother. Agnes Ellison, played by Leslie Uggams. It was such a good film. So it follows Thelonious Monk Ellison, who's a writer. And he plays like this jaded writer that is a little snobby about his writing. You know, he's respected by his peers, but he definitely doesn't make money, or at least not a lot of it. And he's snobby towards the genre of writer that seems to just be writing to the market. And Issa Rae's character, Centaur Golden, is one of these writers 
which makes a beautiful case for it. And like, there's a scene where they have a dialogue with each other, back and forth, and makes a, a strong, understandable case for writing to the market. Because there are writers like that, right? There are writers and creators like that, that literally only write to and for a specific market. There are podcasters like that as well, that, you know, they'll do Google trending searches, for example, and say, oh, X, Y, and Z is trending. Let me do a podcast episode about that. Or writers that write to, oh, what's popular now? Vampires, made of glitter, that also own a knitting factory. Okay, let me write a story about that. And they'll literally write a novel, a book, a short story, whatever about that. That's called like writing to the market. And then you have other folks that write for the art of it, that write what they want to write, whether it's popular or not. I think I would fall more into that camp. And they speak about what they want to speak about, so on and so forth. And it's not passing judgment on either. You know, both are the creator's prerogative. But Monk's character is one that has disdain for the folks like Issa Rae's character, Centaur Golden, who is literally just writing for the market. And her case was essentially, you know, if there is a, a market, if there are people that want to read this type of stuff that you call, you know, trash or like fast food type of writing, and I'm able to create that for them to fill that demand and make a living while doing it, why is that, you know, you know like, why are you shitting on that? What's wrong with that? And the answer to that is essentially, there is nothing wrong with that. That's, you know, the choice of that creator, that writer, and also the choice of that consumer to consume whatever the fuck they want to consume, right? But what I love for it from a, this like writing, you know, this like shine the light on this like area of like writing and creating is that the type of like stories she's writing are like thought to be like racist and like over the top and highlighting like stereotypes of African-Americans. And like she's doing a reading, for example, and she's, you know, speaking normally and then, uh, you know, being interviewed and then she's reading an excerpt from her story. And then she's like, oh, yeah, sure. I, I would love to read an excerpt. Let me share this passage here. And then she starts reading, quote, Hey, yo, Sharonda, you's pregnant again at, nine, at 19 years old? What is that, your eighth baby mama? You know, like, sh sh shit like that. <laughs> she's, like, writing in the book. And then Thelonious Monk's character is, like, has, like, such disdain and grossed out and, like, what the fuck? How is this selling? So he as like, a kind of to, like, shit on his certain publishers that don't want to like publish him anymore and arthur by the way is not his publisher it's his agent the character played by john ortiz he decides to write this like over the top hood like spoof almost and submit that to the publishers that don't want to publish his his other work because again it's not selling the publishers are in the market of are in the business of making money so they're like the embodiment of creating for the market Minus the creating part, you know, they're just like pedaling. But <laughs> I digress. He submits it as kind of like a fuck you to them, and then and they wind up loving it, and they want to. And he he submits it like under a pen name. And Arthur, his agent, calls him. He's like, "Yo, they want to publish it." And he's like, "Really? They want to publish my book?" He thinks it's his like other book that that he wrote. The more you know, like snooty writing and you know the shit that he's into, his literary fiction, if you will. And John Ortiz's character, Arthur, he's like, "No, no, the." The other book that you sent me over under the pen name and they want to give you a $250,000 advance or something like I forget the exact number that might be it but he's like what he's like I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna do that shit what are you fucking crazy that was supposed to be a joke but Monk's character is in a situation where this is a, a, another layer of the story where it really resonated with me his mother Agnes is elderly her memory is starting to slip. They take her to, and they confirm that it's like her early stages of dementia. My father, as I mentioned, here in the pod has dementia. So that definitely resonated. And as well as him and Tracy Ellis Ross, which is his sister. And they have a third brother, Clifford Ellison, played by Sterling K. Brown. But they're, like between siblings, they're dealing with the fact of balancing the responsibilities of taking on the fact that their parents are getting older, that their parents are getting sick, and what, how are they going to balance that, and what's that going to mean moving forward, and who's taking on which responsibilities, how are they going to tackle the, all of the issues that need to be tackled and taken care of, and that's something that, that definitely hit home, 
in something that we all inevitably deal with to one degree or another. So he's in this situation where he they need the money to confront, you know, like the changing and added responsibilities in 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 their lives with their mom being sick. And he's out to a lunch with his sister. And, you know, they're speaking about these things, trying to iron out certain details and, you know, speaking about how money's tight all around. And then his sister right then and there literally has a heart attack while they're having lunch out of the blue. Tracy Ellis uh, Ross's character, which sucked that she she like died, like spoiler alert, so early in the story, which just threw a, another curveball and an added need for him to get money because the other brother he's like going through a divorce with his family kind of like a midlife crisis coming out the closet like type of thing he's like selfish and doing drugs and more of a burden than a help you know what i mean so it all kind of falls on jeffrey wright's character but then he you know he has this dilemma where he definitely really needs the money which arthur his agent is highlighting to him to take care of his mom but also his creative beliefs and what what he feels about like his integrity, his creative integrity is being thrust into into this situation as well, right? He doesn't want to publish that. But ultimately he does, begrudgingly. And at the same time, I felt that that situation does a great job of, of being like social commentary for what's wrong with the virtue signaling. And you have these two agents from the publishing company who are white, and just like thrilled to speak to the writer, which again, who was under pen name, and he just kept playing it up and making it more absurd. He was like, yeah, I'm an ex, I'm an ex con. I don't do interviews because I'm still running from the law. I'm running from the man and this and that or whatever. And they were just like eating it up and they're like, oh my God, this is so authentic. This is so real. And it was, it was like cool to see like that highlighting of that type of like hypocrisy of what happens when, you know, writing to a market or just like doing something ultimately for financial gain alone, like when that runs amok, like just highlighting all that is wrong with that type of mentality. And not to be mistaken with that, that is all wrong, but what could be wrong with only thinking that way. Lorraine's character, she was so sweet, played by Myra Taylor. She is the like home health aide caretaker of the mom and has obviously like been with the family for like years so to the point that she's like family she was like such such a sweetheart and i felt like the ultimate like full circle moment for him for monk's character was a couple of things like on a personal level you know being more open being you know letting your guards down a bit letting people in to your life letting them love you he was very guarded very cagey push people away which is not an uncommon trait for a writer or some types of, of creatives. You know, you're kind of sort of always in your own head and you wind up doing things like that even without noticing at times. I know I definitely have. And then from a uh, professional level, the full circle for, for his character was that ultimately he always wanted, he wanted and needed money but also wanted the validation that comes with the recognition of all your peers and being thought of as this amazing writer. And he kind of sort of came to the real realization that these are two different worlds and it's okay. You know what I mean? It's not like an either or type of situation. It's the ideal circumstance that you can do like your artsy fartsy type of writing and everybody in the mother would love it and it would be mainstream and niche at the same time. And You'd be a, a literary hero and a millionaire at the same time, like sure, but very unlikely that that would ever be the type of situation that you would be in as a creative. But there is a happy medium with, com again, coming to terms with the fact that maybe not always, but often it would be a separate, different type of approach to, to creating. And that part of the charm, if you will, of being on a creative journey is finding that the happy medium where you are able to create without compromising your artistic integrity, if you will, and also make some money while doing so, which will help facilitate you being able to do more of what it is that you love to do, which is the writing and creating. And if sometimes you wind up sliding to the left of that spectrum a little bit and going more towards the making money side, and then sliding back to the right a little bit and going more towards the 
doing what you love side, then so be it. As long as you ultimately stay within that happy medium, which should be the place where you're most happy, I think is the ultimate creative goal. At least I feel like that's what it is for me. Anyway, tons and tons and tons that I related to in this movie. I highly recommend it. American fiction. Check it out. Goats doing goat shit. This is the Spun Today segment where I like to highlight extraordinary individuals that do extraordinary things, even when and especially when they don't have to. This episode's installment of A Goat Doing Goat Shit is none other than Joe Rogan, who has made the list before. This is probably his third, if not fourth time. And the reason why, as originally reported by Spotify's blog and picked up by the Wall Street Journal, Associated Press, and others, which I will link to in the episode notes, is because in February of 2024, this month, Joe Rogan inked yet another multi-year licensing deal with Spotify. For those of you who don't know, one of the other reasons, actually, when Rogan initially made the go-to-doing-goat-shit list, was because he inked a $100 million licensing deal to take his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, exclusive with Spotify for three years. I want to highlight again, it was a licensing deal, which I love harping on and highlighting here on the podcast, because there's a huge difference between selling something and licensing something. When you license something that you create, you can license it for X amount of dollars, sometimes and usually less than what you would make if you just sold it outright. But what's great about a licensing deal is that once that license is up, you still own everything and you can license it out all over again. So Joe Rogan did a licensing deal for $100 million three years ago that recently expired. And because it was such a lucrative deal for Spotify and its shareholders, which saw many, many, many times that $100 million in stock profits, as soon as the news broke. But Rogan, since again, maintained ownership of his show, was now able to license it yet again. And this time the deal has a few interesting caveats. First and foremost, it's another multi-year licensing deal. The number of years I'm not clear on. I'm assuming it's around three to five, but I haven't found the actual reporting on the number of years. But it's a $250 million licensing deal. Shout out to the podcast, The Goat. So not only did he make $100 million over three years with the original deal, now he's making another $250 million, which includes, by the way, upfront guarantee as well as revenue sharing on his ad sales. But the sickest part, in my opinion, is that it's no longer exclusive with Spotify. This deal was so lucrative with Spotify that they didn't, they didn't even hold on to that part of it, that part of the deal. Instead, Rogan and team negotiated that the podcast will once again go wide. It'll be available everywhere. So if you want to listen to it on Apple, you can. It's already actually on Apple. And there will be a video version available on YouTube as well, which is interesting because back in the day before the Spotify deal, Rogan's pod was wide. You know, it was available on every podcatcher. And the video versions were exclusively on YouTube just because YouTube had the, that's where videos would be seen. You know what I mean? It wasn't by virtue of any, uh, of any deal with YouTube, but that's just where video podcasts were viewed. Part of when Rogan went to Spotify, part of the deal that was negotiated was that Spotify had to develop the capability of streaming video as well as audio. And they developed this entire video capability through their app because of Rogan, which other podcasters and and content creators obviously have benefited from as well. But now that the deal is going wide again, or the show rather is going wide again, we will once again be able to watch the podcast episodes on YouTube, not just the video versions on Spotify. But it does seem, for example, that Spotify is keeping, aside from YouTube, seems to be keeping, at least as of the recording of this episode, the video rights with Spotify, because you can still watch the videos, obviously, on Spotify. Um, but on the on Apple, for example, where the podcast is already available, it's audio only. So Spotify does seem to be retaining that. 
I would imagine that the video versions of the podcast will be available on YouTube as they stated, but probably on some sort of like delayed release, like maybe a week later, the video will be on YouTube or something like that. But that's just my personal speculation on that. Shout out once again to Rogan, the undisputed heavyweight champ of podcasting goats for not only having one of the dopest and most important essential outlets on the planet where folks from any and all walks of life can come and share their art and discuss their thoughts and share their expertise with the world, but also for doing it right, always doing his show with integrity and honor and giving other podcasts everywhere, including myself, a template for how to do it right. And not just in caring about what you do, loving what you do, pursuing your passions to be a better person, wanting to help others, but in realizing that there's different ideas and thoughts out there and that it's okay that they coexist. It's okay that their differing opinions are shared and explored. It's essential, but also in just the integrity that comes with the, the whole financial aspect of things and in doing things right and correctly, where he was very much the architect of not just selling ads on his podcast back way before the Spotify deal, way before the whole thing blew up when he only had one sponsor, shout out to Fleshlight, where he again was very much so the architect of not just selling shit to sell it, but only selling things that you believed in or that at least you tried and you liked and not, you know, just doing McDonald's ads just because they came with the, the bigger bag. Having that level of integrity and foresight snowballed all these years later into the $250 million more than doubled up from the previous $100 million deal. So shout out again to Joe Rogan and to Spotify for inking this deal and for making yet another appearance on the Sponsored Goats Doing Goat Shit segment. And that, folks, was episode 254 of the Sponsor Day podcast. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to listen. It really does mean a lot. And I hope that you all are taking away gems from the episode and or it's just helping you pass the time in whether you're at work or at the gym or whatever it is that you do while you're listening to this driving. I hope it can help you pass the time. I hope it finds you and yours in a good, healthy place maybe even motivates you and inspires you to do something creative on your end, which I'm definitely a proponent for. If you have another minute or two, please stick around to listen to a few ways you can help support this show if you so choose. And I'll catch you guys next time. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying the Spun Today podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few ways you can help support the show. You can support the Spun Today podcast financially by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you will find a couple different ways that you can do just that, some of which will actually not even cost you a dime, such as using my Amazon affiliate link. When you go to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll see my affiliate link to Amazon. Click on it and it will take you to Amazon's website where you can do your shopping like normal. This will not cost you anything extra but Amazon will pay me for driving traffic to their website. If you'd like to support the podcast more directly, you can do so by becoming a patron at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You'll also find my Patreon link. This is where creators such as myself can be paid directly by patrons like you. You can either make a one-time donation or schedule recurring donations if you so choose. There are also different tiers of support, and depending on which you decide to go with, you'll also receive some perks in return, such as early access to content, free digital copies of my books, free bookmarks, etc. That is, again, by supporting via my Patreon link, available at spuntoday.com forward slash support. Similar to Patreon, at that same location, you'll also find my Ko-fi link as well as my Buy Me A Coffee link. They work very similar to Patreon and are different ways that you can help support the show financially. And last but certainly not least, you have the good old-fashioned PayPal donation button. Any which way that you choose to support is greatly appreciated. It all helps me do more of what I love, which is writing and podcasting. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also support the Spun Today podcast by rating and reviewing the show wherever it is that you're listening to this episode. 
I'd really appreciate it because it really does help. Also, follow me on all socials at Spun Today on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram, and at Spun Today on YouTube, where you'll not only find the full length episodes of the podcast, but also chopped up clips and additional content. And of course, you can follow the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spun today. Another way you can help support the Spun Today podcast and also upgrade that stale wardrobe of yours is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support and clicking on the banner for Stitch Fix. Once you do, you'll enjoy a $25 discount to your first purchase. And the way Stitch Fix works is pretty cool. I use it and I've never been disappointed. You'll set up a profile. You'll put in all the sizes for your clothes, as well as all the different brands and types of clothes that you like to wear. It's really simple and intuitive to set up. They'll show you pictures and pretty much give you a thumbs up or thumbs down option on if you would wear something or not. And you get to select all the brands that you already are used to wearing. With this information, their thousands of passionate trend setting stylists will curate a Stitch Fix box for you. They'll send you five items that you get to preview before they mail it to you, and you'll get to select based on the image if you like it or not. If not, they'll replace it with something else. And if so, they'll mail it to you absolutely for free. You can try everything on, and you have a few days to send everything back or keep the stuff that you want to keep. Then you can use that $25 credit that I mentioned towards your purchase of those items. Again, to freshen up your wardrobe and also support the Spun Today podcast, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and click on my affiliate link banner for Stitch Fix and enjoy your $25 credit. Do you want to start your own podcast? Have a great show idea that you want to get out into the masses but don't know quite how to get it from your head out into the world? Well, here's how. Use the podcast host, Libsyn. That's who I use to bring the Spun Today podcast to you. And now you can use them the same way. Using the promo code SPUN, S-P-U-N, you can open up your Lipson account today and get two months of free podcast hosting. Here's how it works. Once you record your show, you upload it to your Lipson account where you can fill in your episode notes, upload your podcast art, and schedule when you want your episodes to release. Once you do that, Lipson will take care of the rest. They'll distribute your show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and all the other podcatchers that you choose instantaneously and seamlessly. Again, go to Lipson.com and use the promo code SPUN, S-P-U-N, to get two months free. Or use the affiliate link that's in the episode notes. Again, that's Lipson.com, promo code SPUN. Take that great podcast idea from out of your head and put it out into the world. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Grayson. I love you, Daddy.